Hello. Today, I have a special treat for you. We're going to dive into the mind of someone deep in the trenches of direct response marketing. Joe, who does the publishing for Agora Financial, who is arguably the largest alternative financial publisher in the world, is with us today. Joe is in, I consider him in the top 1% of people in the direct response marketing who are active today. Someone who has his fingers on the pulse of the direct response markets and who knows more about direct response than 99% of people ever will. I've had the privilege of knowing Joe since uh, June 2017. I looked at our Skype, first Skype uh, call, and Joe is exceptionally generous. I have personally learned a lot from him. <laughs> and today we will discuss his perspective on what's happening right now, how the coronavirus is affecting every one of us who does any kind of marketing, and his predictions on the best ways we should change what we do to survive this cataclysmic event that changed the status quo and how we can benefit from it to emerge in a much stronger position. Um, Joe doesn't do a lot of public interviews like this, so I'm truly privileged to have him here and excited to share this interview with everyone. So Joe, I hope you're okay today. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. And you know, anything I could do to help you and to help anybody that's listening, uh, like I always tell everybody, I've been very lucky in my life to be sitting here today where I am, and I'd like to pay it back in any type of way. So I'm hoping that uh, some things that we're about to discuss might help some people out there. It might help you know, them and their business and the rest of the world. And that's what today is about. So thank you very much for having me on. You're welcome. And that's what life is really about when it comes to it, we look back at all the contributions we have, you know, done. So, so far, what impact did you see in the financial publishing markets after this coronavirus crazy craze began? Yeah, I think we're we're still in the midst of it, obviously, you know, so it's tough to answer with any certainty. Uh, I think we only know a, a couple things for certain, and the rest is very uncertain about the world right now. The things that we know for certain yeah. is we've already seen uh, around the world, as we all know, a very, very dramatic impact uh, on the worldwide economy, uh, everything from global trade to the local markets. So one thing for certain is that what we are dealing with right now currently ongoing as we record this, is going to have an effect on society and on the economy, the worldwide economy, for months and months and potentially years to come. So I think we're much closer to the beginning of the economic story than we are towards the end of the economic story. I think the economic story is going to significantly lag the health story as well. So hopefully, obviously, you know, we can cross our fingers and hopefully the world is on the backside of this coronavirus curve from a health perspective, hopefully. Yes. Hopefully we don't see massive breakouts and spreads and hopefully the worst is behind us. Hopefully we've we've hit the proverbial peak. But from an economic side, uh, for certain, it's just beginning. 
you know, all of the people that have been um, put out of work. Like if you look here in the United States, I believe that in the past three weeks, we've seen 22 million Americans file for unemployment benefits. Wow. Uh, we never, ever, uh, you know, in, in the history have we seen that many people out of work in such a short amount of time frame. So that's for certain is, is all of those people that are out of work. If you think about all the knock on effects that they're going to have, you know, the lack of spending, the lack of going out to restaurants when, when the economy opens back up, you know, the lack of buying consumer goods, the lack of being able to maybe pay their mortgage payments or their car payments. Um, so I know that's a long winded answer, but what I would tell you is that the only thing we know for certain is the world's going to be much different from a financial perspective in the next couple months. Uh, everything like everything else, I, I think we're probably at the, the beginning stages and it might be too early to tell anything else. I understand. And you're very correct. And this episode is all about you. So if you think you're being long-winded, sometimes someone can say a small tangential comment that triggers an eureka moment in somebody's mind. So I'm opening the opportunity for that. So, so far, how did Agora, for example, or anything that you're working directly with being impacted with this health crisis and the economic changes? I think for us, it's given us a lot of really interesting things to think about, you know, from a financial publishing perspective. Uh, there's a lot of different opinions that go around. You know, there's a lot of people that are sitting at home that are concerned about what the world's going to look like and how they're going to meet their next payment. So for us, I would say it's given us a lot of really interesting uh, things to think about and hopefully a lot of interesting ideas that will come from that thinking on how to help people, you know, how to help people um, shelter their wealth against a potential uh, um, set of inflation that may be happening with all of the government's response to, you know, the coronavirus crisis. So if you look again, just here in the United States, um, don't quote me on this number, but I believe already we've spent something like four to six trillion dollars that we've committed to fighting this coronavirus, um, both from a health perspective and from an economic perspective. So if you look at it, you know, four to six trillion dollars, where's the government going to get that money? Well, they're either going to have to have it lent to them by another country um, or by its own citizens, or they're going to print the money. Uh, and most likely they're going to print the money. So what does that mean? So when the government starts printing four to six trillion dollars like out of the proverbial thin air, then it might lead to inflation. It might lead to a future time that the currency is worth less because you're debasing the currency. So for us, it's given us time to really reflect on situations like that, to go back through history, even though we don't have any event like this in history, in our recent modern history at least. Uh, but it's given us times to look back and say, when the government prints money to respond to a crisis, what happens in the years that follow? And for us, um, going back and studying history and then trying to put our thinking caps on and say, what's going to happen this time? You know, for us, that's where I, I come back to saying that it's given us a lot of really interesting things to think about and to talk about and to show our readers. So one of the best ways, of course, that anyone can protect themselves against possible inflation is to buy stuff like gold or silver bullion. Yeah. So it gives new interesting ways to write about that and to write about, um, 
you know, what could potentially happen to the United States dollar and to United States treasury bonds if the government continues to print money like this? And uh, how high could gold soar? You know, already in the past uh, couple months since the beginning of the coronavirus and specifically in the past couple weeks here in the United States when it's really taken hold, you know, I think gold went from something like $1,500 an ounce to nearly $1,800 an ounce. So that's a 20%. Yes, uh, Joe, sorry for that. There was a technical difficulty. Sure. I would like to ask you, if people would like to know more and uh, read some or one of your publications that will help them make better financial decisions, which one would it be more geared towards um, the, what will happen that small investors can take advantage of, or if all of them, which one are you working on right now? You know, so we rec- recommend some resources for the people listening. Sure. I would say one of our, our flagship e-letters, which is completely free, is called The Daily Reckoning. So dailyreckoning.com. People can go to The Daily Reckoning and they can sign up for free. And The Daily Reckoning gives a pretty macroeconomic look at our business uh, and the world. So we talk a lot about um, you know, what we think the future is going to look like. We talk a lot about potential economic fallout from what's happening. We talk about how you can protect yourself, um, not so much from a health side. I mean, we'll leave the health stuff to the experts that are you know, in a different industry than what we are. But we talk about how to protect yourself from a financial side. So that's what the Daily Reckoning does. So that's one resource. Um, again, it's a little bit more of a macroeconomic resource. Another resource might be something like the Daily Edge. So that's a different e-letter of ours. Again, it's the Daily Edge. And people can Google that and they can sign up for free for that. That handles a little bit more of the micro investment uh, recommendations. That isn't as macroeconomic. You know, that e-letter... Uh, would show you a little bit more from like an opportunity side, how you could take advantage and what some of our our gurus are recommending that you do with your money right now. So again, just to differentiate the two of them, the daily reckoning is much more macro in thinking. The daily edge is a little bit more tactical in thinking. That's great. I hope everyone will go and check them out. And I would like to talk to you be, as somebody who knows a lot about marketing, who have been immersed into big ideas and sales letters for a long time, if you could imagine yourself to be a small business owner in these times or troubled times, and I had recently an episode where I, where I argued that um, ideas and services and products that are geared toward improvement and opportunity will take a back seat uh, compared to repair and people saving themselves during these times of survival. But that was my perspective. To you, if you are a small business owner operating in the market, what would be one thing that you will consider doing or what kind of marketing would you direct yourself towards so that you don't... Because in business, when money when you run out of money, it's game over. So (laughs) what would you do as your own advice if you were a small business owner or an online marketer, you know? 
Yeah, I would say that the thing I would do would be to test a lot of different ideas right now, because I think coming back to what we were saying at the start of this, we're in very unprecedented times, you know, from a health perspective, from an economic perspective, and from a marketing perspective, the things that worked in the past may not work in the future, at least not in the short term future. Uh, and again, that goes for all things, you know, from a health perspective. I mean, look at us. We're all doing things much differently now than what we were doing a couple months ago. You know, social distancing has become the norm. From an economic perspective, you see a lot of crazy government response that that I would have never thought could have existed a couple months ago. And from a marketing perspective, you know, we have to try new things and to get in touch with our our customers and our clients in new ways. Uh, some of those might be opportunities of, of ours as small businesses, and other ones might be threats of ours. So I would say that the number one thing any small business should be doing, other than making sure that the cash on hand you know, can survive uh, the business and retain the employees and everything like that. But from a marketing side, I would say test a lot of different messaging. Because what we know is that what may have worked in the past isn't probably going to work in the next couple of weeks or the next couple of months. You know, what is going to work from a marketing-based perspective, you know, to get in touch with new clients and to serve new clients and put your hopefully good products in front of new clients is going to be different. And no one knows for certain what that messaging is going to look like. You know, is it going to be opportunistic messaging? Well, I'm sure it depends on the product that you're offering. Is it going to be more protection that you're offering? Well, again, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be what you're offering. But if you can take a lot of different angles uh, of communication, uh, and if you could test those different angles to see which one's going to resonate the best, um, that's what I would suggest. Because if I if I had any more thoughts on what specific angle, you know, be it opportunity or be it protection, I think whatever I say might change tomorrow based on the changing economic and health landscape of the world right now. So that would be my number one thing is if you have the ability to test, test new communication channels, test new marketing messages, uh, you know, test new, potentially even new pockets of clients that have opened up now to you that may not have been there in the past. Uh, just to give you one, you know, ray of hope here. I think a lot of people who use the phone as their primary method of communicating with their customers, you know, if it's a uh, call center or a telesales floor, I've heard that a lot of those type of businesses are doing very well because they're calling people that are at home right now in a, in a much deeper way than what they were at home a couple months ago. So, you know, that gives you time to bond with customers in new ways over the phone and to check in with your existing customer base and make sure that they're being fulfilled the right way and that you're doing the best you can do with them, you know, from a product side. So uh, that's my thing is just test, 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 test new ways to communicate, test new marketing messages to communicate because anyone, I think we could all argue different sides of it right now, but the truth is no one's going to know for certain until we all just test and figure out what the future holds for us. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And there is uh, another ray of hope is that most businesses, when there is a crisis, the first thing that goes is their marketing budget. So right now, the competition for ads and pay-per-click, it's much lower than it has ever been because nobody is 
investing in them and people can test cheaper like you used to say and my hunch and it may be just a hunch but it's based on what uh, claude hopkins was saying in scientific advertising that there is a threshold of fear that if people you push people beyond that they don't take action anymore so my expectation is that if people do you know problem agitate uh, solution that the agitation if they push it as usual it will be too much for people who are already filled with fear and i would like to ask you something what have you been doing or maybe what would you recommend for people who are in a bind like this who have time on their hand and who want to understand more of the marketing that you understand which resources or books or even from your own archives or something like that that will help people become better marketers and business owners i would say two resources uh, two different types of resources um, the first resource is more from a marketing side so just to name two uh, friends of mine who I respect very, very, very highly from a marketing side. One, his name is Rich Sheffron. Uh, some people listening to this may know Rich. Rich ran a business called Strategic Profits for a very long time. Uh, Rich has become a very good friend of mine. Uh, we just launched a um, partnership with Rich. It's called Steal Our Winners, and it's on a marketing side. So... Um, we have an e-letter called Daily Insider Secrets, I believe, around Rich and his thoughts about marketing and the world and strategy and things like that. So that is one. So I would say follow Rich Sheffron would be one. To stay on that same side of marketing, another friend of mine is Todd Brown. I think Todd Brown is one of the smartest marketers out there. He and Rich are also very close friends. So I don't have any business relationship with Todd, but if someone wants to follow Todd, uh, he's a respected friend of mine and he always has good ideas. So that's, that's on one side, which is the marketing side. The other side is a partnership that we launched into with a general, a gentleman named Carl Allen and Carl Allen runs a, a community called the Dealmaker Wealth Society. And Carl Allen specializes in showing you how to buy businesses, how to buy other people's businesses so that you don't have to be an employee anymore, so that you could be a business owner. Uh, again, it's called Dealmaker Wealth Society. Carl has a product called Dealmaker CEO, which I think is around 50 or 60 hours of coursework that shows you how to get into the right mindset of being a business owner, um, how to find businesses that might be for sale in a niche that you like, how to contact those businesses, how to negotiate prices with those businesses, and potentially how to use things like seller financing so that if you structure the deal the right way, you might be able to acquire a business for no money down uh, and use the seller to finance that business. So that coursework, if someone is sitting at home and they want to learn how to be a business owner, but they may not have ideas of themselves or for themselves, or they you know, may not know how to get started, maybe the better way is to buy someone else's business. Uh, and that's what Carl shows you how to do. So Carl uh, has put together a fantastic, fan fantastic product. Again, you know, full disclosure, we like the product so much, we just entered into a partnership with Carl. Um, but I was first a client of Carl's before that. So... Uh, 
It's called Dealmaker Wealth Society. Again, his name is Carl Allen. He is a British gentleman. Last name is A-L-L-E-N. So Carl, A-L-L-E-N, and Dealmaker Wealth Society. Uh, you could sign up for his free e-letter as well, where he shows you you know, different ways of getting into the mindset of being a business owner. And again, his tactics for, for buying businesses. He spent 27 years as a corporate dealmaker doing some of uh, some large merger and acquisition deals and things like that. So Carl is the quote unquote real deal. He's got a fantastic product. Uh, and if someone has time on their hands at home and if they, you know, unfortunately have been laid off or fired in the midst of this crisis, well, maybe they can think about being a business owner in the future after we get on the opposite side of opening the worldwide economy back up. And, you know, if that might be a better future from them or for them, to be a business owner, well, now is the perfect time to invest in education uh, to learning how to be a business owner. And that's what Carl teaches you how to do. So there are two very different skill sets, you know, on the marketing side of things, follow Rich Sheffrin, follow Todd Brown. And on the business owning or business buying side of things, follow Carl Allen. All of those people are very, very great resources and people that I trust fully. Yes, and I highly recommend the same people because I know you as somebody who is discerning, who can tell the real deal from not. So Rich Sheffrin, Todd Brown, and Carl Allen, right? Yes, correct. Yes, absolutely wonderful. And in the end, do you have any message of hope or have you seen any even small glimmers and signs that there will be a better future or that things can be good for some people, the action takers who will, for example, today go and uh, get the free newsletters and stuff from Rich and Todd and Carl and people who are serious. What kind of things have given you a bit of hope for the future? Or at least we can end on a positive note because as humans, the more positive we are, the more we can take action. Sure. I think if we look back at humanity um, and life in general, you know, we're all going to be faced with different crises in our life. And for maybe our grandparents, uh, I don't know how old you are, but I'm, I'm 40 years old. You know, so maybe for my grandparents or their parents, they were faced with things like the Great Depression and two world wars, right? Um, after that, People were faced with different types of wars. You know, maybe my parents' generation, they were faced with um, uh, the Korean War, at least here in the United States, or the Vietnam War. So there's always going to be crises. You know, for our generation, uh, this is probably going to be the largest crisis, I hope, uh, crisis that we face. I hope that there's nothing larger than this in our lifetime. But if you look throughout all of humanity, anytime that there's crisis, um, you know, human beings are a pretty resilient type of um, life form that we always find ways to um, take the crisis and turn it into opportunity. Now, while we're during the crisis, while we're going through the crisis, it might be hard to see that there's hope on the opposite side of this thing or that life can be better on the opposite side of this thing. So when we're square in the midst of the crisis like we are right now, you know, it's easy to get down and to say, oh my God, I'm going to be scared and I'm going to be paralyzed. Um, but there's two different ways to look at that. You can be scared and you can be paralyzed, or you could look at it and say, you know what? Um, throughout every crisis that the world has faced, we've come out of it as a better species. 
So let's focus on being a better species. Let's focus in on opening this economy back up. And let's focus on preparing ourselves during this time of crisis for the skills that we're going to need and the opportunities that it's going to create after we get outside of this crisis. Uh, and there's so many opportunities if you look at that. So just to give you one tiny little thing. Yes. You know, the idea, I think, is going to stick with us for a long time of this kind of social distancing idea. You know, I, I think even when the world gets back to normal, it's going to be a little weird to be that close to people again. And specifically, if you look at uh, payment forms, you know, it might be done, the days might be done where you're swiping a credit card in a machine that 22 customers in front of you have touched at the grocery store. You know, the days of that might be done. And what it might give rise to is uh, contactless ways to um, complete transactions, meaning that maybe you never have to take that credit card and put it in a machine and swipe it ever again. You know, maybe you have to hold your phone up. Uh, maybe it gives rise to things like Apple Pay, or maybe it gives um, a new chip that's going to be put into a credit card where it's going to be a near field communication chip where you can wave it in front of the machine and it'll automatically scan without you having to touch anything again. So if you look at that, and if you're interested in you know, computer programming, or if you're interested in engineering, there's going to be so many opportunities on the backside of this thing to change the world and to change how we do business and how we interact as human beings. So it's that opportunity that I think, you know, while it's a very fearful time and frightening time, but if you can suspend that frightening and that paralyzation for just a moment, and if you can focus on all of the ways of which you can improve the world in the future, you know, again, everything from as small as, as a contactless way to complete transactions or anything as big as, uh, you know, a new way to, to ensure the quality of food safety around the United States and around the world if we ever get into one of these virus situations again. Like, that's a pretty big picture idea uh, if you can figure out that type of stuff. So in every crisis of which we're all going to face in our lifetimes, you know, this hopefully is going to be our crisis Hopefully, we're not going to see anything bigger than that. But, uh, you know, if, if you have kids out there or if you have grandkids out there, you know, the chances are they're going to be faced with a crisis, too. So I think if we all approach it with this mindset that in every crisis, there's always opportunity. Uh, it just matters of who's going to take action, who's going to, to, you know, suspend that idea of being frightened and, and who's going to try to figure out new ways of, of how to make the world a better place in the future. It's those type of people and it's that type of opportunity that is going to give us hope and that's going to make the world a better place. Because again, what I do know for certain is that we're a resilient species and we're going to take this crisis and we're going to use it to get better. Um, so people could either be frightened or they can look at the time and say, how do I make my life better? How do I make the world better? How do I serve people better after we're through this crisis? And it's it's that latter side that I want to be on. You know, I want to be on the side that says, hey, uh, there's going to be opportunity in this. How do we find that opportunity and how do we better change the world when this thing's all said and done? That's absolutely fantastic. Yes, we have to stay optimistic, realize that challenges and crises are a natural part of life and find ideas to change the world because big crises also opens big opportunities. Yep. That was absolutely fantastic. Um, it was great. 
I thank you for your time. And I look forward to all the excitement that anybody who will listen to this will feel and all the lessons and ideas they will get. Again, thank you for your time. Okay, thank you very much. And it was fun talking to you today.